Welcome to 30 Minute Theology, where we discuss the basics of Catholic belief and practice. I am John Bacon, a catechist of the Roman Catholic Church, and with me is Father Daniel. Father Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing well, John. I'm, I'm relieved as I look at what we're going to talk about today, and it's not the Trinity. I'm, I'm a little less nervous than our last podcast. Good. <laughs> I've seen too many Trinitarian heresies in my study of theology, too. Yeah. Uh, the thing about the Trinity is, and I think part of what makes it stressful is it's the central mystery of being. Indeed. It's the absolute fundamental mystery of who God is. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it is the central mystery which undergirds every mystery of Christianity. So we're, if we're talking about things as diverse as prayer or church polity mm-hmm. or the atonement, how we're made one with God, there is a Trinitarian foundation and logic to what we were discussing. Absolutely. So we're not leaving the Trinity behind, kind of like the uh, the rocket that goes into space and like, what's the word for like the, the shuttle engine that drops off? Right, like, right. We're not leaving it behind to go into other distant lands <laughs> of theological thought. Um, but now we can look at the things which maybe are a little bit clearer to us. Yeah, Right, the trin- the inner life of the Trinity is just it's it is so mysterious. I mean, this word we just we overuse it maybe, but that's <laughs> what it is. But then we have the Trinity uh, as we experience it in creation, and and there's just a lot more there that we're free. I think God lets us talk a little bit more about those things. So that's right. It's exciting. So, um, in case the listener has not noticed, we begun this podcast with reason. And then we discussed reason and faith. And now we were moving into the mysteries of faith revealed by faith, which we are examining with the minds that God gave us. So we are now entering into, we're kind of, we are leaving philosophy behind. We're utilizing philosophy, but we're moving from philosophy as a foundation to philosophy as a tool. And we're looking at the central mysteries of our faith. We will now be processing through the Nicene Creed, which is the central profession of our faith. Right, the document Christians. that the councils give us. Yes, primary. So, which we were technically <coughs> discussing the creed in our first four episodes because the first two words in English, one word in uh, Latin, credo. Credo. I believe. Right. So we've discussed belief. Now... We continue with the creed, which says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So the two questions we hope to explore and shed some light on in this podcast is, why does God reveal himself to us as the Father Almighty? And second, what do we mean when we say that God is a creator? So, first, divine fatherhood. Father Daniel? Well, it's incredible as Christians that we get to refer to the author of created existence as Father. Mm-hmm. It's just an absolutely beautiful thing, and I think it does set the tone for uh, how we explore this topic. Uh, you know, much as we might joke about uh, being kind of nervous to discuss these things, we do come forward somehow boldly as children. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, creation itself allows us to do that. It gives us the image of uh, natural fatherhood mm-hmm. in our own fathers who are at once both um, stern and fierce and bigger than us and smarter than us, mm-hmm. uh, at least when we're children. And uh, uh, But also loving and tender and life-giving. And that gives us this sense of how we can talk about the author of all life. Mm-hmm. It's it's a beautiful and comforting thing to, uh, in the arms of your father, so to speak, uh, ask questions, point out things. Daddy, what does this mean, right? Yeah. And we can do that. We can do it boldly. You know, as Americans, culturally, there's a lot of baggage with the word father. Right. Which I think, on the one hand, I can understand looking at the brokenness of family systems in America. Uh, on the other hand, it's a logical rule that abuse does not disprove use. No. Abuse is only abuse if it's an abuse of something good. We only know it as abuse because we do have some innate sense of what it ought to be. Right? That's right. So we have a little bit of a cultural hang-up on fatherhood mm-hmm. because... Um, the sexual revolution has been very effective in dismantling the family. Absolutely. But second, as Americans, we have a problem with the word monarchy. Now, maybe we're all political disgruntled enough to warm up to monarchy a little <laughs> bit. But, um, and that's not a political statement. That's just uh, an observation that we live in America, so we're all politically angry. So, uh, you spoke in last episode, Father Daniel, about the monarchy. Yes. Of the Father. And these should both be images that are joyful to us within a framework of power and authority. Mm-hmm. Um, we should also have a, a type of affection for the images of fatherhood and monarchy, although they're countercultural to us. When the church fathers assert the monarchy mm-hmm. of the Father, are they asserting some sort of domination of God over God within the Trinity? the way that we stereotype monarchy or what are these saying about the father's relationship to the son and the Holy spirit? I think that relationship is hierarchical. I think that's the word that Uh um, reflects this idea the best. So to understand that word, we, we ought to probably leave behind politics and go to creation first. Mm -hmm. And I always like the image of, uh, the tree, the apple tree and the bees, right? Mm-hmm. You have this incredible um, symbiotic relationship between these organisms that are of very different scale, right? You have a tree which can grow truly large. It can withstand great things. It can live for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in terms of just scale itself and what it, it, it provides, it's much greater than the life of a bee, an individual bee, or even a, even a community, uh, even a swarm of bees that mm-hmm. from uh, year to year is going to die and change and uh, maybe move locations. And the tree stands. So if we balance these out in this, in this kind of scale sort of way, the tree is much greater than, than the bee. And yet mm-hmm. that tree exists um, because of the bees and what they do for the pollination of it. It's, it, it becomes fruitful mm-hmm. in that relationship. 
uh, it, it thrives. Uh, the tree even grows because of that relationship with the bees. That's a hierarchical relationship within creation. And that's how we have to understand the relationship, I think, within the Trinity, too, is that there are relationships of hierarchy which don't, um, don't mean that one is necessarily um, more important than the other. That's right. And so uh, the monarchy of the father, as the, as the church fathers talk about it, is really related to him being the source of divine life. That's right. So he's, uh, I, I wouldn't use the analogy of the, the tree and the bees to talk about the monarchy of the father. That <laughs> yeah. doesn't work very well. But uh, we can see that the father uh, has this life and he shares this life with his son who receives this life. And between them, they have this, uh, this relationship that we might call loosely the Holy Spirit, right? This life of love. Again, these are now ways of uh, speaking about God analogously. But hierarchy, hierarchy is important even in the life of the Trinity, and creation shows us that. That's right. So when we speak about, we're going to dive into the theological words of relationship within the Trinity. The Father is unbegotten. The Son is begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now, when we use those words, this is weird to think about, but we're not making a temporal statement. Because no. there was no time when the Son was not begotten. Right. And there was no time when the Holy Spirit did not proceed from the Father and the Son. No person of the Trinity is created. Right. Each is uncreated, which means that each person of the Holy, of the Holy Trinity is co-eternal. Eternal. So when we speak about a sort of origin in the love of the Father, we're not speaking of a temporal origin, that there is a Father, and then there is a Father, the Son, and then there's a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. But within the Father's being mm -hmm. is the very identification of his active self-giving love throughout the Trinity. One image that I find helpful in our... Your, your point about hierarchy, Father Daniel, as we'll look at the human family and not necessarily how a human family goes wrong, but how a human family is meant to go right. So I'm married, I have a wife, I have a children. Uh, hierarchically, I'm in charge. Sure. That doesn't mean I'm the most important because what does authority do? My authority exists to serve my wife and my children. It serves the life of the family. Yeah, to serve the life of the family, to meet their needs. Mm -hmm. What is my wife's authority? Mm -hmm. My wife's authority is to serve my children. Mm -hmm. Well, what is my children's role? At this stage of their lives, basically to be served <laughs> and to demonstrate uh, an appropriate amount of affection and gratitude. Mm -hmm. So uh, hierarchy of authority equates to responsibility Absolutely. within the created realm. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Catholic Church, we have a Holy Father, mm -hmm. the Pope. A lot of misunderstandings surround the papacy inside and outside the church. Uh, I think one thing that's really helpful is to look at the sort of nicknames we have for the Pope. And one of the classical names for the Pope is the Servant of the Servants of God. This is St. Gregory the Great, I believe, right? Probably start with him. He, he's an amazing saint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um, 
but yeah, uh, fatherhood does equate to a a um, a role of self-giving love mm-hmm. and of service for what has less authority. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see that in the created realm. Once again, going back to last episode, St. Gregory of Nazianzus reminds us that language about God and his relationship to himself as Trinity is analogical, mm-hmm. which means that God's fatherhood and my fatherhood are not the same fatherhood. No. And at the same time, his fatherhood is not a reflection of my fatherhood. God didn't say, oh, these human beings have arranged themselves in such a way. What image do I... Oh, I'll call myself father. Right. It's actually the opposite. God designed creation in order to reflect his being and his actions. So the institution of human fatherhood exists to be a parable of God's own fatherhood. It's a one-way street, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You can't uh, a one-way street of of God's revelation to us, not of us mapping ourselves back onto God, explaining God through our right. That's right. We understand God because of human fatherhood. No, not exactly. Yeah. So this leads to the second question. So whatever God does, God does as Trinity. Mm-hmm. So the Son and the Spirit are not somehow like um, hanging out on the couch while the Father is creating. What God does, he does as Trinity. So why in the Creed do we speak of the Father Almighty as the maker of heaven and earth? Well, as you said, John, uh, what the Trinity does, uh, they do together because they're one in essence, they're one in purpose. Um, And so we might see them doing different things in the act of creation, Mm -hmm. but they do that according to their inner life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, of course, you're going to have to talk about all of them being involved in this act. Mm -hmm. Now, we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Well, we can say that uh, because he is, in fact, the source of all existence. Mm -hmm. He's the source of divine life within the Trinity, and he's the source of created life. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there we see that relationship between those two things. That's right. I think this is really helpful because um, it brings to the question of why does God create? And this is something that makes concrete why the doctrine of the Trinity is important. Because if God is not triune, creation is an act of addition. Now, why would I say that? Because um, how is God known and loved and adored without creation. Well, if he's triune, then God is sufficient within himself, not only in his divine attributes and his divine simplicity, but very much in his relationship to itself. So I think it's a problem for for the idea that God is a personal God. Uh huh. Right. If God is a personal God, a relational God, a God of love, which the scriptures mm-hmm. say that he is, we talked about this in the last episode, then how can he be so without an object of love mm-hmm. in and of himself? Right. And so if you want God to be a personal God, then yes, uh, 
there has to be some kind of a relationship outside of time, outside of creation, in the inner life of God. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's some kind of necessity in creation so that the lover has a beloved. Yes. So I don't think it's a problem for God as a creator to be a kind of monistic God. Mm-hmm. But it is a problem if we want to uphold the scriptural notion of God and say that he's personal. Yes. Yeah, so at one sense, because God is triune, creation is unnecessary. And this is why that's a good thing. God creates not out of need, mm-hmm. but out of an overflow of his being of love. I've heard Bishop Barron say it before in a talk he gave on the uh, seven deadly sins and the seven virtues that we are loved into existence. Indeed. God can be glorified with or without creation. And we hint to this in our Gloria. We talk about adoration within the Trinity. So it's not that God needs um, creation for himself, but rather it is a gratuitous act of self-giving love that the love of the Trinity overflows and create something outside of God in order to enjoy God. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that God creates in order to enjoy creation as much as God creates creation to enjoy himself. Exactly. The, there has to be some uh, sense of the trustworthiness of God's revelation to us. We spoke about this with uh, modalism. God... Uh, revealing himself as different things in different eras and the problem with that because can we trust God if God could reveal himself as if he can reinvent himself in a new epoch Mm -hmm. we have a problem right yeah Uh, and so there's this trustworthiness that the inner life of God which is uh, entirely full in, in without necessity that is then shared in creation uh, in this gratuitous sort of way uh, is a trustworthy notion of God's inner life. It really does Mm -hmm. communicate something real about who he is, which is, again, we have this sense of God's monarchy within the Trinity, God the Father. Christ can call him uh, the Father. He can even call him the Father without his incarnation as a human being. Mm-hmm. And yet he's also the father in creation, too. Right? That's right. So one of the things that the Catholic tradition is adamant about is that um, God is not the fashioner of being, but the creator. In other words, very different notion. that God is the ground, the source of all existence, and not simply the most powerful person who gets to design it. Indeed. So he's more than a construction foreman. Uh, he creates all that is out of nothing. Uh, I shouldn't use Latin without defining it, but ex nihilo means from nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but another fact that's interesting to look at is how we don't say in the creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, who made heaven and earth. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It's probably a more accurate translation for sure. Yeah, and um, I mean, God obviously did create heaven and earth, But why do we speak of creation not just as like a past event that God did, but as a present adjective for who God is? Well, if creation being created above 
the abyss of non-existence, as some some people have said. If creation is is that, uh, it doesn't have stability, so to speak, on its own. Um, its life, its very being, um, is is hanging over non-being, and it it's almost as if it could fall back into non-being like that. And so God is not just the creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the sustainer, we might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only because of God's uh, eternal being that he has the ability, uh, or that we have the ability to have being, I should say, at all. And that relationship continues mm-hmm. through time, not just the point of, at the point of creation, but it continues. Yeah. An example of this being not only philosophical, but also exegetical. By exegetical, I mean derived from Scripture. The Epistle to the Hebrews, it says um, that God upholds the universe by the word of his power. Exactly. And that word of his power being Jesus Christ. Right. Um, so um, creation is not simply something that God did and moved on from, as some of our founding fathers thought, mm-hmm. but rather uh, the very... Um, reality of existence is at every breath and every moment a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Um, that creation is a gift, and it's a gift that God gives at every nanosecond. Right. A gift that he does not withdraw. Adam d- doesn't just call God Father. We call him Father because mm-hmm. he's called us into existence as much as Adam, right? That's right, and we will talk about this a lot in our second season when we get into more ethical issues and the commandments, but this is part of the church's understanding of the sanctity of life, mm-hmm. that God did not simply set the uh, mechanics of sexual reproduction and motion, but if a person has existence, it's because God condescended through the conjugal act mm-hmm. to create a person. Mm-hmm. Why? Because God loves persons and he wants another person. He's deigned that person worthy of existence. Which means that there is not a person who exists, regardless of their behavior, who exists mm-hmm. outside of God's desire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can we call him father if we have um, a fallen relationship with him, right? This is the interesting question. Mm-hmm. And this is a question Jesus proposes in the product parable of what we call the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, in a sense, the story of humanity is the story of the prodigal son. Yeah. It is because Christ, who has the Father as his eternal Father, uh, restores this relationship, gives us the possibility of, as we say in the Eastern liturgy, to dare to call upon God as Father and to say, and then we say the Our Father. And so there's this this sense in which we we have to dare to do this now and we only dare to do this now because of Christ's restorative act it's beautiful right that's right some of our listeners may not be aware of the parable of the prodigal son so i'll quickly recap it i hope we come up to it again but jesus tells a story because he is accepting notorious sinners uh into fellowship with himself he's mm. reclining at table with them and conversing with them which scandalizes the religious authority of israel at the time which uh, honestly upset Jesus, that they were upset that he was restoring Mm -hmm. lives to dignity and to fellowship with God. So he tells a story of a son who desires his father's inheritance prematurely before his father's death, which 
um, I hope is still offensive in our culture, but it is certainly offensive in that culture. Mm-hmm. I, I, the story's so short, but so wonderfully told by Christ. Uh, the boy goes off into a far country, spends everything he has, and comes to his senses and realizes, one, what a jerk he's been to his father. Two, that this is a really bad idea. And then he asks the question, is there anyone in my father's household um, not only a son, but a servant who my father doesn't provide for, realizes, no. Okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to ask him to receive me as a servant. Because he as a son has rejected sonship. He's rejected relationship with his father. Mm-hmm. Well, he comes back, and before he can get all the way home, his father sees him from a distance. And his father runs towards him. Uh, a f- powerful family man in the ancient Near East running is odd, for him to publicly embrace and kiss and welcome the dirty, stinky son who publicly dishonored him is shocking. The father welcomes him back. Well, here's one of the many profound questions raised by this story that Christ teaches. Obviously, the son changed his relationship to the father in his act of rebellion, but did that affect a change in his father? It doesn't. It clearly doesn't. This is where we see that uh, sin is a story not so much of God changing his attitude about man because of something man has done, Mm -hmm. but something taking place in man that has truly changed him in his attitude towards his creator, benefactor, his sustainer. And so it's something in the heart of man that has changed, that's broken, that has to be restored, right? Yeah, that's right. The theological word we use from this, and we get this from the Greeks um, prior to Christianity, is divine immutability, Mm -hmm. which means that God is not changed. And that story is one example of how divine immutability is a good thing, because God cannot be changed by my actions. Right, right. His love is steadfast. I mean, the Jews proclaimed this in the Old Testament. The Psalms speak about it. And so, again, in the relationship which is broken post-fall, mm-hmm. we see mutable man forgetting something, mm-hmm. not living up to the gifts that he's been given. That becomes the problem. Uh-huh. So the, the story of God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and God, our Father, who we become co-heirs with, we have the possibility of becoming co-heirs to alongside Christ is the same story of the same God. That's right. It's like the goodness of divine stubbornness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that God refuses to change his character according to our projections onto him. Exactly. And it doesn't change who he is. Well, um, I think we've spoken some about God's paternity as the Father Almighty mm-hmm. and his goodness as the creator. Is there anything that you would like to add, Father Daniel, or any resources that you would like to recommend? Regarding this topic, that's right. I I just think exposure to the Gospels is so core for us. Uh, we don't have enough of it. We don't read the Gospels enough. Uh huh. So uh, I think in uh, renewing our minds, renewing our sense of our Father, go to the Gospels before you go anywhere else. I mean, there's countless that's true. wonderful resources that renew our hope and in the sense of God is our merciful Father, but go to the Gospels first. Amen. And after you go to the Gospels, the one book I would recommend 
on my bookshelf is a book written by Scott Hahn, a Catholic biblical scholar and theologian, and it is titled A Father Who Keeps His Promises. Mm. And it is a biblical theology of the covenant and um, the father, the covenants that the father makes with humanity in order to restore the relationship. It's a really beautiful look at uh, creation, the character of God, and um, the nature of his relationship to humanity that culminates in the self-giving of his own son to restore us to familial relationship with him. Beautiful. Scott Hahn's such a, a gift to the church. Excellent. Father Daniel, well, thank you for this. Uh, this was a lot easier and more pleasant than our Trinity podcast, <laughs> and uh, I hope it is for our listeners. Indeed. Thanks for having me, John. Anytime. Thirty Minute Theology is a podcast provided by the missionaries of Saint Patini, an apostolate dedicated to catechesis and evangelization. We exist to make the good news of Jesus Christ and the teachings of His Church accessible and understood. To learn more about the missionaries of Saint Patini and to access materials related to this podcast, please visit our website, saintfotini.force.com. The Thirty Minute Theology is helpful to you. Please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, and please consider supporting our work. Thank you for joining us.